Welcome to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with our host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary is provided by Kate Hassett and Jackson Delisle. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Influence Factory. We uh, just want to welcome you uh, again. This is episode 63, and uh, we are so excited for this episode. Uh, we have a great show for you today. I can't wait till we get to our special guest, Nicole Martin. I've known her forever, and she is my HR go-to person. So be ready with your HR questions. And Jackson, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good, good. We are missing Kate today. She has a back injury. So please, everybody send her some some healing thoughts and prayers out there. We like our people to be healthy, uh, as well as we like each and every one of you to be healthy. Uh, so a couple of big events that are coming up. Those of you that are part of our insider group, which all of you are, uh, we do have a special VIP invite-only networking event next Thursday. It's not found anywhere on the internet or on social media it's going to be at the Civic Opera House in Chicago. If you find yourself uh, there between four and seven and you'd like to go, please uh, email me or direct message me on social media. I'm not hard to find. Uh, and we'll make sure that we get you a VIP pass to that event and uh, we'll get you more information. It is filling up fast as we have limited seats and is exclusive, uh, a really high caliber networking event. And we've done these before. We literally announced them a week ahead of time. And then we'll have uh, some good mixing and we have a special guest that we will interview at that event that will be announced once you message me. So it's a little bit of a, a secret type thing, but we like doing those. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, let's see. And then we have our uh, Jackson, we have our MVP event at Wrigley Field on June 21st. A lot of you should have received a private message on that. And you guys uh, being part of our community and gals uh, we have special discount codes uh, that you can, uh, again, message me for. We have friends and family uh, discounts and it's uh, Wayne Mesmer and myself. We'll be doing a motivational talk related to sales and building a powerful network. And then you're going to make some significant connections there at, at Wrigley Field. And then, of course, we're going to have uh, lunch. And then Wayne is going to take a couple of the guests down to the field as he sings the national anthem, which Jackson has experienced that. What was that like, Jackson, when you went down there with him? Uh, it was uh, it was really cool, you know, just like it's not something you do all the time, you know, like yeah, I've been to a, a good number of uh, sporting events and games. And, you know, that's an energy that is, you know, um, amazing, you know, unlike any other. Uh, but you know, doing that, that was like a completely different and not better. I wouldn't say better, but it's, it's really cool. It's like just a different type of energy because you're closer to the action. Okay. It is better. Um, <laughs> well, and you got to be up and close with like Joe Madden and uh, Vince Vaughn and all those guys. Right. I mean, yeah. for that particular game. So yeah. that was different. So good experience. So, uh, uh, all right. And then uh, you had the inside scoop because you had the camera. So nice job. Yeah. Um, all right. So anyway, we have those events coming up and then we do have other events that are posted on the Social Jack website. So stay tuned. There's always events coming. I think we have like 22 events coming up some place on the calendar, right, Jackson, somewhere. Yeah. Um, so uh, so all that's going on. And then, um, Jackson, for people that do want to uh, join us on social, can you help out letting them know what to do? Yeah. So if you want to tweet to us, uh, you can tweet to us at Get Social Jack. Uh, we're also on Instagram at, at Get Social Jack or on Facebook. We're Social Jack and LinkedIn as well. And we have uh, one of our uh, writers in the back end monitoring the Facebook live stream. So make sure to, if you're on Facebook, uh, you know, engage and stuff. There's prizes available for everyone. Yeah, that's cool. And then uh, we also have uh, all kinds of past episodes available now that we're at 63. And uh, what's the best way to subscribe to our podcast after this is wrapped up? And I know you do the magic and it goes out into the interwebs. 
Yeah. So if you want to go to app.socialjack.com slash podcast, you can access all of our channels, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and CastBox uh, right from there. So you can subscribe on your preferred channel from that uh, site. Good. And we'll send that link out to everybody in the show notes as well. All right. Well, it's time for the Influencer News Update. Uh, this week we're talking about how the LinkedIn algorithm works in 2019. So if we go back and look at October of 2018, LinkedIn's uh, feed algorithm, uh, they updated it to help private users get content seen while simultaneously reducing the reach of LinkedIn's power users. We'll call them for conversational purposes. Um, the power users are going to be the people that are, you know, like the top 1% of LinkedIn's users, the people that are getting like millions of likes and engagements, uh, LinkedIn influencers. And uh, so what they wanted to do, they wanted to give the common business professional the same ability to get their content shown at the same rate, increase their reach. So, you know, even though, you know, they, uh, LinkedIn's interactions have grown by 50% on a year to year basis, the majority of those interactions were still, uh, only the top 1% of influencers. Wow. So, so, so that means the rest of us really uh, were not being seen by our audience. And Facebook did this to us a, few, a while back, and then Twitter did it. And then uh, LinkedIn didn't tell us about it until all of a sudden we discovered it was going on, if, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if everybody's experiencing that out there, but we're going to publish the algorithm. But the bottom line on this, and we have Jackson did a really good job of documenting how the algorithm works. And I think maybe we, for today's purpose, we should bottom line it. But I'm going to um, I'm going to give my impression of it, Jackson, because it's it's quite there's a I say there's like, uh, you know how there's a seven layer cake. I think this is a seven layer cake. So um, so what we want to do is let you know that the key to this is genuine, authentic conversation. We've always said this from the get-go. And this means that, you know, making sure that your audience is engaged, that it's not automated, it's not robots, it doesn't feel like promotion or advertising. It's genuine conversation. And, and once you start to get some interaction with your audience and people are liking and commenting, uh, possibly additional tagging and hashtagging helps to promote it. And, and LinkedIn's algorithm will read your content the minute you press post. The minute you say submit and post or set, send that update in, they will read that and they will determine if it's a good conversation or does it feel spammy. And they're going to make that determination before you even get your first piece of engagement. So even if you have everybody collected, so Cindy and Edith and Gail, I get everybody gathered around and I say, hey, I'm going to post this cool article. Can you guys help me out and give me some conversational love? And you're like, yeah, Dean, we'll help you out. But if my post is spammy, they're going to cut us off at the knees. And even if you help out and pass it around, they're going to tank it and suppress it. Ouch, that hurts. So now all of a sudden, uh, what if I just started a genuine conversation and then we all stay connected as part of our social team that, of course, I talk about in my new book and most of you have been trained in. Um, but let's say my social team is alerted that I'm posting some good articles on a regular basis and it's thought leadership content. And, and let's just speak from the heart of what that looks like. That will help drive that uh, visibility of that a little farther. Do I have that pretty close, Jackson? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I want to just uh, go into some specifics on the filters real quick. Go for so it. So there's, uh, there's four filters uh, that you go through when you post content. So let's talk about filter number one. Filter number one is consists of every time you post something, LinkedIn's algorithm bots decide whether it's spam, low-quality content, or good to go. I think we know which one we want to be a part of, you know? Um, it's, if you don't, it's good to know, good to go. Um, but then after, once you've, uh, passed and you're in the good to go, uh, category, you go on to filter number two. This is where, uh, LinkedIn's algorithm bots will take a closer look at how your audience engages. So it's going to be, uh, temporarily placed in the main feed. 
you know, so you're going to be up there with, you know, all the, you know, top influencers, you know, your connections, it'll be in the feed, it'll be featured there. Uh, but while it's doing that, it's kind of like a test run. It's LinkedIn's basically saying, okay, you know, we'll let you be in the feed, but we're going to see how it goes first. So then, you know, they look at how people are engaging with your audiences. And, you know, there's ideally what you want to do is we recommend optimizing your initial post time uh, based on your analytics of when people are engaging the most with your content. Uh, if you don't have that, we'll share another article uh, about recommended times. Uh, but uh, if it's not uh, getting you know, good engagement, consistent engagement, if you're not getting consistent engagement among other posts, uh, that's, uh, that's going to hurt you in the long run. Uh, also, you know, uh, if you are getting good engagement, that's a good sign that you're going to stay in that feed. And then that leads to more of your posts getting put into that feed. Filter number three at this step, LinkedIn algorithm looks uh, beyond your content to uh, determine whether it's good or if it's, uh, you know, spammy, if people are marking it as spam, hiding, from their hiding it from their feed. Uh, this is just due to LinkedIn's belief that spam posts should not be rewarded with viral visibility. And during step four, the final process, humans are brought into the process to determine whether the content should continue to be shown, whether it uh, or whether it should be included in somewhere uh, somewhere else in the site. So, like a channel. Uh, this is why it's uh, you'll definitely see posts in your feed that are weeks old, and that's something you won't see on the. Uh, you know, other competing platforms, Facebook and Twitter. Um, you know, before we go, I just want to talk about one more thing. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. optimizing your posts. Uh, you want to make sure you're optimizing those post times and really feeding into the bias that LinkedIn has. And they're pretty blatant about it. And it'll be easy to know. And it'll be in the article, which we'll share afterwards. They talk a lot about, you know, the bias of LinkedIn. So you want to kind of feed into that a little bit and, you know, pander. Uh, then, you know, share content that resonates with your audience and the people that are in your industry. Uh, and besides that, that's all for the influencer news update. Uh, you can contact us, uh, via Twitter. You can tweet to us throughout the week at Dean Delisle at Jackson Delisle and at Kate Hassett when she's back. And then also, uh, you can tweet to the company site, which is at, uh, get social Jack. And if you want to listen to this after the fact, it'll be on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and CastBox. So thank you for watching. And if you're watching after the fact, make sure to click the subscribe button. This week, our influencer guest, Nicole Martin, is a good friend of mine. But everything that I know in HR and treating people the right way and helping people to learn and grow and helping it to become a better organization... Nicole is my go-to person. What else can I say? And not only that, um, you know what? There's just um, there's just a part about her that we're going to get to where she has uh, revealed herself in some uh, recent books that she's done and, and just a really good, genuine person. And so I'm so excited to have her on the program today. Nicole Martin, come on down. Welcome. Hey! Yeah, I can see you, <laughs> How are you doing? And I'm then, fantastic. I know. You know, I was trying to think about how we met and I know we we had done the, you know, the the best and brightest uh, company show, you know, the award yeah, show. The conferences, the red carpet events. But, but, we but, but is that where we went? We, we met before that, didn't we? Yeah, we met when we were both uh, presenting. I was speaking at the, it was a private invitation conference put on by a woman that we mutually share for the largest high growth women owned businesses. Yes. Okay. Um, with Lighthouse Research there. And so that's where we met. I was I was speaking there, I think, on the talent emergency, and you were there talking about social influence, and you were actually there doing Social Jack Influence Factory with all of the women-owned businesses that were there. That's, that's where right. We okay, yeah. Two years back. Wow, that takes me back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you count on me for that. I know, I know. And, you know, I've always been impressed, um, you know, because, you know, as, as you as you said in some of the things that you submitted, that you s never dreamed that you would have your own business. Yeah, I'm not and one then, of those people that dream that up. Oh, my gosh. And then when I came in and I did the training, uh, I want to say it was two years ago at your kickoff, 
meeting for your group and your team, it just seemed like you were born to run a business. So I just want to give you that shout out. And I was like, wow, you are such an amazing leader. And, and, you know, so, so I want to, I want to take us back and, you know, so I know the Nicole Martin today and of the last couple of years, but, you know, you never thought that you would be a business leader and an owner, but, but maybe tell us a little bit about Nicole growing up and coming through the ranks where you probably developed some of that spunk and energy and leadership qualities. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Dean, I think I've always been kind of the person that freaks people out in elevators. So I don't know that that's a new thing. <laughs> Did yeah. I? Right? Like, I think I've always been that happy-go-lucky person that could be annoying to people, even the opposite um, spectrum. People would be like, what's, what's she on? I want some of that, right? I've always been that person. So I think I grew up in a small town and, and the small town environment gives you that opportunity to not have a bunch of peer pressure and to really be free um, of judgment in a way where everybody's just who they are. I grew up in a small town outside of um, West Yellowstone, I guess, Livingston, Montana. It's kind of like a battleship game. And I think I learned to have confidence that way and esteem at a young age where I didn't see anybody as different. Everybody was kind of homogeneous there. And then when I moved, you conquer everything in your small town. I came here. I had a godmother, north suburb of Chicago. So I came here right after high school. And I was raised by a single mother, which is put a roof over your head. (laughs) Survival. Survival 101. Survival, yes. And so um, at a young age, I was very excited. And I knew I wanted to be in business. I didn't know what that meant. Um, I saw a woman wearing a suit, you know, that was very special to me when I was probably five years old. I thought she was the most glorious, beautiful human being I'd ever seen. And I just knew I wanted to be like her one day. It was as simple as that. And when I was putting a roof over my head, answering the phone, um, pre-Y2K in the financial services industry, I literally didn't have a degree and I didn't have any knowledge of politics and bureaucracy. And I just saw all these people who had come over on their H-1B visas sitting in these big fishbowl lobbies back in the 90s. You remember these? these oh, yeah. Visas? Yeah. And you're sitting there and um, saying, hello, hi, hi. And then people would sit there all day, Dean, like all day. They'd come and they'd sit in the lobby all day. And I finally just realized what a waste of um, just human resources, human people who are here. What a waste of time. You do not have to have any kind of higher intelligence, just common sense. And because I didn't know about politics and bureaucracy and I thought everyone is my friend, I just went down the hall to the guy who ran the place and gave a presentation um, that I'd done for school. It was homework. And I literally came out of that meeting and he said, you're my receptionist. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm your receptionist. He says, you belong in human resources. And that was the beginning of a trajectory where it put me where I am. Today. You were just picked. Yeah, literally, I was 18 <laughs> years old. I kid you not. And he just saw, wow, you belong in human resources. So God bless him. It's a nod to anybody who sees talent today who's 18 years was old. Was it something that you did or were doing that, that you know, or, or that they spotted in you at that point? I think it was, I was basically telling what to do with these people that were in the lobby and what their bosses should be doing. <laughs> Somebody needs to do something with these people who sit all day. The obvious. Right. Yeah. But I said it right. And he was sort of like, well, you belong in HR. And what's so funny, strategically looking back now, I, I just thought it was the greatest job ever. I had no idea really what HR was then. And it was a 6,000 plus organization, right? Global entity. And I ended up, you know, building HR from scratch as a subsidy. Um, you know, we're out here on an island remote location. And so that was my first job in HR. But they put me on planes back then. It was high acquisition, as you know, and lots of downsizing. Um, and that was my first lens of HR was this ugly side of HR, I guess, um, where people were losing their jobs. And I was the person handing them their ticket out of the job. So that to me was a really hard place to be as a young woman, um, thinking you're in this happy people business, you know, and learning it's got an ugly side. Um, and so I learned that, but then they'd throw me on planes and take that happy, joyful side of me. And they'd put me in front of the companies they were acquiring. (laughs) So I'd be the nice person from corporate who would show up and be like, and welcome to PMSC Cybertech. Right. And, (laughs) and it was authentic. I really was joyful to meet them. And they used me as a a tool, right. A strategy tool, um, to grow through acquisition. And when I look back at that now, wow, did they see more in me even than I definitely saw, which is a, a lens in listening to the people who view you and how they view you and what they do, it helps us actually, if we're paying attention, Dean, it helps us gain greater confidence of what our abilities could be. Right. 
Yeah. And I guess I, what, what, what's traveling through my mind is in HR, um, were you always on the good side of HR? Did you, you know, also have to be that person that when those companies were being taken over that you had to cut people loose too? Yeah. I think that you really, I look at what I do as workplace ministry. I think people who know me know that. Yeah, um, I, I love that. Say that again. I, I work in workplace ministry. <laughs> so when, when you show up and you are looking at a human being with dignity, whether they're losing, losing their job or coming into an organization, you're looking at a human being. And I yes. think it's really important to remember the dignity side of the human experience. And as long as you authentically come, whether you come with bad news, good news, indifferent news, whatever it is, you're coming hopefully hoping to bridge and communicate um, so that someone sees you and you see them. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And I think, um, I don't think, you know, it was interesting. One of our uh, first big clients when I was doing the social selling uh workshop like what I did for you guys is, you know, we deliver that in corporate. And so when I was at GE North America, um, and it was GE Capital, it was right at the time where we were one year into the contract, it was the biggest contract we ever had for our training stuff. And then all of a sudden, um, they were like, uh, we're announcing that we're shutting down all of Capital North America and we're selling off everything. And I'm like, you know, first of all, you're scared because it's like, oh, my gosh, this is a three year contract. What are we going to do? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, what are all those people going to do? Yeah. So then we jumped in. And fortunately, GE was nice enough that they had a budget to help enable these people to actually further their career. And they allowed us to be part of that. Uh, enablement team to help them out. And I think more companies are starting to do that. But man, I, I think that should be a responsibility that if you're just going to, you know, you hear it all the time, oh, 20,000 jobs or 10,000 yeah. jobs or whatever it is. And you're like, oh my gosh, what are all those families going to do? Um, and fortunately, we had taught uh, in the universities the career side of this before we taught the sales side. So we had something ready to deliver. But had That's we right. not prepared those people, you know, how do you do that? So, so you had to be like that, that really that spark. And yeah. I think your, your, your energy helps with that, but yeah. whether it's good or bad news or there's change, but that ministry, I love that theme. Yeah. And I didn't always know that that's what I was doing. I really just came to that presence of mind. I want to say after I became a mother um, and I really came to a place of gratitude and just witnessing people in a different way. So I probably had always been doing that because we are who we are. But I didn't give it the conscious presence of my mind and power, personal power to say, this is what I'm doing. And with intention, right. um, you come into that as you get older, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> as I get older, I've come to that realization that that's it's what like I a fine wine. Right. right. And declared it <laughs> with intention. Yeah. So, you know, get some wisdom and some shops. But I think looking back, I. I felt, I mean, it, I remember just coming into a legal drinking age, even 21, I was in the ugly side of business and I'd go home at the end of the night and be like, wow, I need a glass of wine. Cause I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is not what I signed up for. Or I didn't know that this is even treating people like numbers instead of like humans. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I really jumped ship from that large corporate arena back then, you know, into the middle market per se, which is where I've stayed all of my career now. Um, to be where you can see the impact of your work and you can touch people and get your hands dirty rather than just this mass generalization kind of approach that can happen sometimes in big businesses. And not saying that um, that's universal, of course, but I, I think that was my first lens. And so now I've really gone the other direction um, by my, I was fortunate enough because I'd worked and went to school. It's not something I intended to do, <laughs> but I think when people actually get hands-on experience and get their education simultaneously, it catapults you in a yes. particular industry. And so that happened to me. And by the time I was 23, I was in HR management. Um, and I was going straight into the middle market running and building HR departments from scratch in kind of manufacturing environments, which are really meaty. You have like a PhD guy over here with a patent working over here with immigrants who don't speak our language in the same company, same team. Um, and I loved the dynamics of that. I love the challenge of that. Um, and it, to me, it's the richest thing is bringing those two spectrums together. It's great. Yeah, that's cool. And then 
Um, so, so I always like to hear about, um, maybe, maybe the, the people that also helped along the way, you know, you know, I always talk about your social team, the people that are, that are really the people that matter to you. And, and those people come and go sometimes in our lives at different points, but I'm always curious of people during the journey that you're like, wow, it was that one person when they said this to me, Uh and and, and I'm going to give you just an example when I was, when I was back, when I was bussing tables, did you ever work in hospitality? My gosh, does that just not like, uh, Oh, absolutely. I was like the Dairy Queen girl. Of course. Yeah. Right. So, so you just know how to bust your butt, you know, no matter what. So it's like bussing tables is like, you know, you're just the dishes and everything, you know, you got to make sure people are happy at the same time. The dishwashers aren't angry, you know, and everything. It's a humbling experience to be in service, no matter what. I know, I know. So anyway, but then I was like, one, one guy looked at me and he could tell I was probably having a rough day. I probably had food all over the front of me. And he was just like, Dean, just remember, he goes, no matter what you do, always do the very best. He goes, whether it's bussing tables, whether it's weeding gardens, washing windows, doesn't matter. And you will be discovered. And and I never forgot that phrase from Charlie that just leaned over. He was at the bar. He was a wise guy, business guy sitting at the bar. Dean, come here. And I was busy, but I was like, yes, Charlie, just remember. So anybody along the way give you any, you know, encouragement or was significant as as you were shifting into this person that you are today? Well, I think there's always people in your life who are really prominent. And obviously my mother was an impression on me. Um, She really empowered me as a woman coming up, you know, in the eighties and everything. I think that was a movement in that timeframe. I've talked with women now who are in the generation before me and what has changed so much. Um, and they look at me as a businesswoman now and they'll say, Nicole, how can you go into a businesswoman and not wear, you know, you're, wa- you're walking in in a suit, maybe you're not wearing pantyhose, for example. Can you believe that? And I would say, I've never even thought about it. Um, and these kind of dynamics of shift have helped me bring me to a greater place of awareness of what women in general have done for me over a generation to make that a possibility for me to come up with that lens of empowerment, yeah. capability and not walk into a room with my gender. Um, so that's a huge gift to see us all as just humans again. And I think, um, you know, when I look back, I read something once, I'm pretty reflective and introspective. And I read um, a quote when I was like 10 um, in a Reader's Digest, if you remember those little booklets that people leave in bathrooms. Yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I remember reading this quote called, um, in the Reader's Digest, and it said, presence is more important than being present. And it always resonated with me. Um, and I think it in my most private thoughts every day of my life, sometimes when this, the, the chaos of our lives, the noise, and it's even noisier now as I've gotten older and just think technology's taken over. Um, there's a lot of noise. And I think just if I can come to a placeful a, a peace, I just say, you know, presence is more important than being present. And we're always present physically. But if I can ask myself, did I bring my presence? Did I bring my joy? Did I bring my mind, my heart, my soul to this moment? I live my life by that. It's almost my mantra. And it has brought me to moments where I've had conversations with people, men in business. So Jack Egan was the first manager who said, you belong in HR to me. He will forever reside as someone who saw talent in a young person that I didn't even know myself, didn't even know what HR was, right? And look where I am now. Um, So that's one of my truths, which is people who are in positions of decision-making authority, they have the opportunity to spark something in another human that they won't even know the power of that. Um, and so he did that for me at a very young age. And then I would say um, through other people in business, I've, I'm observing. I've observed other women, for example, in an experience, my first shared services client when I was a consultant, not in business. Um, I watched her walk into a deal and walk away with equity of a deal where I was there same time as her, but she had different negotiation skills than me. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember just thinking, and I didn't need that or want that, but I just through observation learned to have, um, a better lens of what I'm capable of or what I could be doing. And it wasn't until I finished my first retained client deal. And when I was already a founder of HR boost, but again, I viewed myself as a consultant, not in business. Um, and I'd already had a team of probably five employees at the time. Uh, my first client, who was the president of that business, came to me and said, Nicole, I really like your business. And I said, oh, that's great. Thank you so much. You know, we want customer service. Of course, we want our clients happy. And he said, no, Nicole, you don't understand. I really like your business. I'd like to invest in your business. And I said, oh, 
well, I'm not in business. I'm a consultant. And that was my response team. Um, and he said, no, I'm thinking about $100,000, you know, for a percentage of equity. And I went, whoa, you know, and that's a day where someone says something to you and you have to go home and look in the mirror and say, who is he seeing that I'm not seeing? Right. Um, so that's a real clarifying moment for me that has brought me to a deeper level of authenticity and confidence and put me on a task of self-investment and self-awareness um, where that conversation, you want to make that conversation not, un- not uncomfortable. Right. And when, I, when it was posed to me, it was probably like a moment of, I don't know what I'm getting into that feeling. Right. Um, and a year later, I went through the Goldman Sachs program and I approached that conversation differently. It was on my terms, my agreement. And then I said what I would take for that and what I want. Um, and moving through that growth journey. It's like an episode of Shark Tank. <laughs> yeah, but it's like the emotions are the biggest. Yeah. The emotions are the biggest challenge, Dean, for anybody that's going through that. Fear is the cheapest, you know, cheapest ticket in any room. Yep. Um, they say that, right? And I think as women in business, um, we we tell ourselves that we can't have it all. We tell ourselves we can't be a mother and have a career and be educated and be a breadwinner and, you know, live, live with these traditional um, stereotypes, if you will. Right. And I think through my life, um, I'm very blessed with an equal partner in my marriage and really someone who's empowering to me who took on a different journey of his own, decided to stay home with our children um, when my firstborn was three. And he made that conscious decision. And I just learned he, he loved to see the passion that I had in my work. And that's something I'm passionate about, which is every human being should have passion, whatever their passion is for what it is that they're putting their hands, their heart, their spirit on every day, not their job, but their passion and working in service. I, I really preach every person deserves that. And the question is, have they told themselves they deserve that? And have they claimed it to say, I deserve this and I can do this. And that's a very cathartic personal process. that's not publicly outlaid for people very often. And I've walked through businesses that 38, 40%, I would say of a room are complacent. Numb. Yes. I'm numb. That's what I always say. I, you know, I, wow. I, I'm so happy to hear you say that because it's almost upsetting. Like, like it's yeah. almost like you're with zombies sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is nobody going to speak up and tell the truth of what really matters to help right. this company shift? And then, and then, uh, you know, I think those are the ones that get in trouble. Right. Well, you have to care. And a lot of people have become complacent from maybe not being heard over a long period of time or just a trajectory of how business was and also population. If you think about it, boomers were the biggest generation. And so forever business owners who were working through that latter perspective of careers, which is what we all came up in, um, they'd reached a place where there was always optimal people. And so almost the energy and perspective towards people was, well, if you don't want the job, then someone else could take it. Um, and people became disposable in a way in their mindset, to be quite honest. And I think that that's really shifted. And the paradigm shift arrived back when I wrote the, wrote the talent emergency four years ago. I just keynoted on it last month. And I couldn't believe that I'm keynoting on it now, Dean, when I'm like, well, I wrote about this years ago. Um, right. it's, it's really where the energy has shifted. And a lot of people are still on the, on the uptake, to be quite honest, of the fact that the, the talent emergency is here. And you can no longer treat people like they used to treat them in business. And it really is where office has become a verb. And the humans that are really talent, however you define talent, um, they're numbered. And we're not going to have enough talent in the United States um, in the coming years right now, and especially from a skilled perspective, um, available for all to be had. And that's very clear in what's happening right now in hiring and in retention strategies. But the bottom line is, is that if you expect to grow your business and your forecasts say that you're growing and human are part of that equation, you're not running a robotic organization, which not every organization has that. They're always going to have a service side where we're service industry, service country. Um, It's a big concern. And so a lot of people are still shifting gears. They don't switch and change gears as fast as we're changing. And so some people are being rudely awakened right now, Dean. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because you wrote the talent emergency. It's uh, three years now, right? Four years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 2015, it came out. Yeah. And I think it's even, I think you saw it coming and it wasn't, you know, now it's a real emergency. It's an emergency for sure now. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so anything you would say to people that are listening out there to like, how do you best prepare as humans, yeah. <laughs> individual professionals, how can you prepare yourself? I know you work with a lot of organizations, but I think it's important to also tell individuals how to prepare. What would you yeah. say? I think, you know, if I just, t- any person I would talk to, 
I think is to give them permission. Um, the first thing is, have you ever given yourself permission to live joyfully every day? What do you do right now that aligns daily? Like today, if I said, what are you doing today? Does it align with your actual calling, with your actual joy? Wait, and purpose? wait, 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 even at work? Yes, absolutely at work. <laughs> and a lot of people may not have had the opportunity because they needed a job. They might've had the opportunity, um, but they didn't give themselves that permission. And I would tell them right now, whether they realize it or not, especially if they're skilled in a particular area, um, the day has come. The day shall rue where right now anybody could actually go out and get paid to do what they love to do, honestly, because there's not going to be enough people to do that. And the question is, did they give themselves permission to actually acknowledge it? And then it's about taking the leap of faith. Take the leap of faith. A lot of people who are where they are right now actually were pushed into faith. Yeah, um, right. They got walked out of their jobs, right? Um, a good person who comes to mind to me is Eva Lewandowski of the Catalyst Ranch. I love this facility downtown Chicago. Oh, yes, so, right. Yeah, if you haven't been there, you got to go. Um, and she has this great little playground for adults as far as I'm concerned. You walk in and it looks like the preschool classrooms almost that I take my young children to. And I feel alive and nostalgic and all these great feelings you get. And as I walked around, I said to her, Eva, I love this business. Like, what, where did you get this idea? And she'll come back to you and she'll say, you know, Nicole, it's really amazing what happens to you when you lose your job. So I said, you know what? That's so incredible. So some people are, have come into their own based on that, right? They're being forced into faith. They're being forced into re-envisioning. And I would say that's probably the last 15, 20 years of some of the business people that you're running into. But this new people, these, the millennials, for example, 50% of them are entrepreneurial. They just, they came out the gate with permission. <laughs> right. right right so they just came out the gate with i deserve this life is short and i would say 50 percent of the workplace talent pool right now is that that voice and the other 50 percent is what i'm talking about right now which is coming to that voice and so the 50 percent of people who don't who didn't come out the gate with that voice that are in the talent pool well guess what your day has come and what do you want to do every day that turns you on and maybe you you love your work but the environment isn't right well, have you given it the spark to say, I know how to make it right. And have you helped the people you're working for see you as a leader? Yes. Um, because we are all leaders from wherever we stand. It is no longer the hierarchy. Yep. It is grassroots leadership from the bottom up, shared leadership. Does everyone, if I go into a room and I said, are you a leader? Would you raise your hand? And, and I would help every person. feel like you matter. Yeah. Every person's a leader. Yeah. What do they lead in? Some people are soft leaders. Some people are quiet, subtle leaders, but they're leading. I hope they're leading. They're bringing their presence, their energy to the room. How are they bringing it? Well, you know me, I always, uh, I preach the influence game, but really at the end of the day, it's about thought leadership mm -hmm. and not being afraid. I, I'd like your, I'd like your feedback on this because, you know, you've gone through our training and you've practiced, um, uh, basically what, you know, we've taught in the world for the last, geez, number of years. Um, but uh, so so what impact do you think and what weight do you put on digital presence for people? So they're putting themselves in the workplace physically, being that leader, but, but at what point do you think people need to just display online who they really are? Oh, I think it's yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So way back to MySpace. Right. Yeah, well, I think... A lot of people used to think work and personal stuff were separate. Um, they're not in the same sentence. And I would say that's changed. Work is personal. It's yeah. always been personal. We just got comfortable with saying it's personal, I hope. Right. And a lot, and that's another permission thing. Self-permission, is it separate? Do I categorize myself as who I am at work and who I am at home? Or am I the same person? Yeah. And so we got to start there, first of all, when it comes to social media and presence. Um, some people um, are still putting themselves in two different buckets. And I would say um, the sooner you can just be you, whatever you is. Authentic. Authentically and, and proud of that and not afraid to hide that and with confidence and love, um, well, then that's a good day. And the tools that are out there social media wise just help us um, project that quicker, sooner, faster, better. Um, the question is you have to get comfortable with really being who you are. And like, for example, my Joy and Purpose book, I had to come to a place in life where the first chapter is probably the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Right. Never spoke publicly about it. And I was healing on a stage a year ago when I keynoted um, about how to get to your joy and purpose through trauma. And I think to say it without crying is a day I knew that I could speak publicly in front of that audience really with truth 
Um, and my goal in that was to heal one person, Dean. And the woman who came to shake my hands after an hour of standing after I got off stage was trembling. And when she shook my hand and she said what she said to me, I said, my job is done. I've done my good work. Right. You help one human being heal. Oh, you're getting me to tear up as you always do, Nicole. That's that's the power of what we have. Yeah, I'm, I'm just flashing back to St. Louis. I would I just happened to be a guest uh, speaking on a panel and I was overwhelmed because, you know, I was amongst influencers in the industry, younger influencers. I believe I was the oldest person up there. Good for you. I'm more senior. Um, But it was standing room only. People are sitting on the floor. It was, it was truly overwhelming. And I literally just spilled my guts that I wrote about for the first time in this book. And I'm co-voyaging as you're saying that. Yeah. And I, and I was, I came out not even intending. I didn't even know I was going to, almost like I didn't know I was going to say everything I was going to say. Did you, you know what right. I'm talking about? Yeah. So it was just flowing. And then this, this young lady, the next day walks up and she goes, I've been looking for you. And I just want to say, you changed my life. Yeah. What you said in that room, I can so relate to, and I grew up that way too. I I love that. I was like. (laughs) It's relating. It's really being being open so that you realize you're not the only one. You're not alone. And the more we can come to the human experience that we're all on together and relate to one another and see each other. Yeah. um, The better it is of an experience for everybody. And, and isn't, isn't it the healing part is a forever process? I mean, it's, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I just want people to, to embrace that, that like, you know, and once you reveal yourself, it's really be proud of who you are. I mean, everyone's got their journey. Everyone's got, you know, who they've become and, mm-hmm. and, and, and just, I don't know, just, just be real. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it is that a lot of people are looking for external validation um, and joy and purpose isn't externally validated. It yeah. comes from within. And so people have to really come to an internal process of I feel whole today and I lived, you know, and gave in service to whoever I believe my maker to be um, and really coming to a place within. And yeah. then you'll never if you're li- if you're really living within and not for the external validation um, you can feel whole in any room right? And, and at peace. And I think that's a real personal process. It got, it has to come from within. Yeah. You don't have to, to go get and go do in order to be happy. Right. Never. Happy, happiness is something you claim in the moment, right? Yeah. You choose it. You we choose. can choose happiness. You can choose. It's that old algorithm they give us speaking of algorithms today, Dean, yes. um, that they gave us in psychology. I think it was Albert Ellis. It's a famous psychologist, and he coined this cognitive process, A, B, A plus B equals C. Right. Right? A is what happened to us. B is our choice. Right. It's the second thing, which is how do we walk away from an experience with that, and C is the outcome. We always personally can affect the outcome. We can control the outcome of anything. If we recognize, we choose B. You don't choose A. A happens whether we like it or not, but B is how we decide to take it in and put it back out. Man, and I and I was such a prisoner in A. You know what I mean? I was yeah. I imprisoned myself. And I think a lot of people do, you know, more yeah. people than what we know, you know, attached to the things of how we were raised or what happened when yeah. we were younger. And and we and we carry that, you know, and I was just like, man, it was just like so heavy. I was like an armored tank, just like packing and packing and stuffing and stuffing and, and just carrying collectively all that pain into everything that we, that was going into. And it was, wasn't until I could, you know, and everybody has their own journey on this, but to release it, you know, and then it was like, Oh, okay. I just need to, I need, I need, it is what it is. And, and I just want to be who I be. You know? <laughs> so. Well, and that's where, you know, Dean, hearing that is so important because I think um, it's that permission place again, that place of healing of that, the choice. So you're talking about that when you're talking about how you're stuck in A. And I think that's why I wrote The Power of Joy and Purpose because a lot of people don't realize that I'm just like them. They're like me. Um, and sharing that my presence principles was sharing the tools or the ways that I worked because it's work. No, it's work. Worked through that to get to where I am today and sharing that authentically and publicly so that someone else can maybe work through, because it's not like you just choose to just separate and cut it off because what lives with us is our energy and whether we cognitively acknowledge it or not is in our subconscious and in our 
chakras and our energy, if you believe in that, um, it lives with us. And so it's really important to do the work to really come to that place of wholeness within and peace and forgiveness. Um, And I think that that's the opportunity of the book that I gave. I really hope that people give themselves that permission and then do the work, give them the tools to do the work. I was lucky enough to be raised by an energy healer. um, And so I'm very open. And even though people would say, well, I used to think, oh, oh, your mother's an energy healer, so she could just heal you. No, I had to do the work. (laughs) Right. I I had Um, to do the work. I just happened to know um, I had to make a choice to access those tools. And and I don't know if you recall, but Jackson and I are third degree black belts. So when we went through that, we worked on the energy and the energy and the grounding and energy transference. And uh, love it. And he would and he would get mad at me. I'm you know he's muted now and probably like like getting mad (laughs) as I'm ready to talk about this. But I talked about that that inner chi, and this is something that you can claim and own. You can't can always control what's going on out there, but you can control how you ground yourself within a situation or within a, you know, a day, a moment, uh, whatever, you know, you can control that. And that's what I love about energy healing is it has so much power in that. But again, someone can't give it to you. You have to claim it and be it. Right. Well, and I think the way to really think about it is simple. So energy always has to balance, right? There's, there's, there's negative energy and there's positive energy. If we can believe from a simple place that energy must balance. Yin and yang. Yep. And if it must balance, Dean, it comes down to a simple thing. So let's say you walk into my office today and you're feeling down. You had a rough day. You had a rough meeting and you decide to share that with me. I can either choose to come down in my energy and meet you there and wallow with you. Or I can choose to just bring you back up. That's me and you, how we share energy. And every human being has the ability to choose how they meet another individual to balance that out, which means someone's either taking from you or you're giving at all times. I like that. At all times. Yeah. And I want to encourage our listeners that are live with us today to comment on how you're resonating with what Nicole is is talking about here. Um, so, So, you know, what... So, so that's a scary moment when you decide to to reveal things about yourself that maybe we've suppressed or held on to. Uh, you went through that, and I remember um, you talking with me, and you said, "I'm I'm I'm letting it go." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? You go, I'm going to put this stuff in a book, and I don't know where it's going to go." And I I was so scared because I'm like, "I'm going to too, but I'm not ready today, but I will." <laughs> So you were an inspiration to me to say, okay, you know, let's, let's cut loose and and let's put some stuff in print. And they still, you know, had to cut stuff out to maintain the book length and whatever. And I think you come to the place when you're ready. Um, I, you, you come to a place of um, complete grace and gratitude. Yes. For all that's ever happened to you, um, the blessings in it and the gifts. And, the good or the bad, right? Yeah, and how you now see with clarity yeah. the love. And once you are filled and overwhelmed with that love and that gratitude, you almost feel an obligation to share to help another person meet you there. Um, and so I had worked through all of that in my 42 years of life um, to really come to the place where I, I'm at peace and I could die tomorrow and I would know that I, I felt I loved, I'd been loved upon and I had loved others. And I'm okay today. Um, and when I came to that place, that's when I had an obligation. And because I, I had achieved goals I didn't even imagine for myself. Um, I, I, I needed to come to a place of um, giving, service, living in service. Yes, I like that. Living and giving. Yeah. <laughs> and whoever needs it will hear it. They'll find it. And I believe the universe will, will draw those people to what they need to know. Um, and they'll see it when it's time. When, they, when it's time for them to hear it, they'll hear it. So, so on the business side, we have talent emergency, which I loved, by the way, it was the first signed book I got from you. So I, was, oh, I still you. cherish thank that. You. And, um, and then the uh, power of joy and purpose, you had the human side of profitability, but the, the one I really love is this uh, power of joy and purpose. And then leading from the heart, which is what I feel when I connect to you. And I'm like, she is leading from the heart. Oh, thank you. And it blends all that together. So we're going to send everybody a link to uh, NicoleMartin.live. And if you click on books, if you want to go there ahead of when we send it to you, 
uh, we're going to send everybody there. Is that the best place to send everybody? Yeah, absolutely. If you just go to NicoleMartin.live, you can purchase books there. You can learn about how to meet me or speak with me, et cetera. Um, I'm on all social media platforms as well. And then I'm on Amazon. There's Talent Emergencies Audible. It's available Audible. That's one book that's Audible already. Um, and I'm working on my next one already. It's crazy. I never thought I'd be an author. Um, yes, right. But I'm definitely a talker. And I think... You know, Maybe that's why we get along, right? <laughs> it's, it's a pass, they're all passion projects. It's not my primary bread and butter. I'm not on the speaker circuit. I still change diapers at home and I don't want to be there. Um, amen. Really, yeah, amen. It's really where I have, they're all passion projects. And talent emergency was just like a moral obligation after I, in my consulting business, at the, I really had met with, um, I don't know, hundreds of CEOs in big business, big thousands of employees and little business startups and middle, everything in between. And I was having the same conversation room after room after room. And I'm going, okay, we've been talking about the shift of human capital since I've been born. How come nobody's ready? And yeah. the, the talent emergency became like what was evident to me. And how come everybody's not talking out loud about this? And our government doesn't necessarily come out loud about the skill shortage in the emergency because everybody, they don't want chaos. Right. And I'm just like, hello people. Have, like, are we ready? Are we talking about this? Like, it was almost like bringing everyone to my my personal table of dinner to just say, um, can we get real here and like have a real conversation about what's going on and what we're going to yeah, do about and, it? Yeah. And I, I thought of it like it wasn't just like the talent 411. It was the talent 911. I mean, you guys yeah, have it is a 911. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the 911. And I guess I consider that to be your um, medicine. Yes. <laughs> Your prescription, right? Mm -hmm. um, so so what do you want to tell the leaders out there that are leading companies? And, you know, everybody thinks, you know, it's either like, you know, the leaders you talk to is like, it's lonely at the top, or it's like, you know, you got the, the people are like, oh, that boss, you know, so, yeah. you know, if you could give them just a takeaway, the leaders that are listening out there, we have a ton of leaders that are listening, yeah. and they manage people, whether it's one or a thousand or 10,000, and what do you have to, what do you want to tell them about, you know, this, this current landscape and maybe some, th some way to look at it or be with themselves in it? Yeah, I would say that they have to define leadership differently than the way we've always thought about it. Um, it's always been given to us as the person who is my manager or who runs my business or they're the leader. Right. Um, so we need to disconnect that immediately and just say the person who's at the helm of the business, who's the visionary or the people who work. Um, who are like operational leaders or grassroots leaders. They're all leaders. And so coming to a place of we are all leaders from wherever we stand is really important. And if you're at the helm of the business, it takes some of the stress off, which is it shouldn't all be on your shoulders. Right, um, right. And you're not really alone. You have a lot of people who've aligned with you. And the question is, do they see your vision? And do they feel excited about putting their handprint on it? Um, and so changing the definition of leadership is step one. Um, and once you do that, the conversation that I hear all the time, which is I tell these people to do this and they don't do their job and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, did you invite them? It's a party. Did you invite them to your party? Do they feel like they're at your party? Would they want to bring their friends? Yeah, right. I like that. I love that. Did you invite <laughs> it's, them? It's, it's that simple, right? It's that simple. And if and it's not a party like with frills and all of that. A lot of people think that best and brightest organizations um, have free benefits and free lunch in the cafeteria and pool tables. And that's not what makes the best and brightest company to work for. It's, it's about the heart. It's about, you know, my why you're connected to my why we are about the why we share this and we're on the same team. We're a tribe. That's what builds the best and brightest company to work for. I love it. I love it. Well, um, we want to hear from everybody that's live with us. And those of you that are listening to the podcast, please uh, type into the comments, what is your takeaway? And, and we always ask or require that you share this with somebody that you care about. So tell mm -hmm. them what you learned or were inspired by from Nicole. And today, share with another leader, um, with, with a, a, you know, a fellow colleague, maybe even your children or your family, something that you took away that really resonated with you that you're going to make different within yourself and, and inspire somebody else. That's what a real business influencer does and, yeah. and a thought leader. So uh, please uh, type into the comments now, and then we're going to bring uh, Jackson back on. Uh, he's going to announce some uh, winners of participants based on engagement. We had a lot of engaging going on as I was watching here. And then um, uh, Jackson, what was your biggest takeaway? Uh, my biggest takeaway was, you know, like what we, what she was uh, saying, uh, 
about the, you know, getting stuck in the A and not really moving on to that B, which is what we choose. We choose how to like react and process and then, you know, attack the, you know, whatever the A was, you know, and I mean, I get caught in the A a lot, you know, I'll, you know, when I get into the office and I'm, you know, looking at like 800 emails, 400 from Dean. And, um, then I'm, you know, like looking at it, I'm like, yeah, like, but now, you know, like then I just sit there and I take it one at a time, you know, one at a time and at doing that, getting into that rhythm, getting into that, you know, mindset that, you know, nothing is unattainable, you know, that's, that's a, you know, what really helps me get through the week. I mean, besides that, I don't know what I would do, but, um, but yeah, that was probably the biggest thing that stuck out to me. Oh, wow. It's yeah. great. That's cool. And we have a lot of people chiming in that um, they like the idea of being present. And, um, you know, Miriam and, and Edith and Cindy were chiming in. I want to say the women were dominating in this one. They were chiming in a lot more than the men. Men, where are you at in this one? I was just sort of curious. What are the men yeah. thinking? You know, it's a, it's a tough place to go to reveal yourself to that level of vulnerability and really be transparent about it. It's tough. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really tough to do that. That's when you and I were talking before the show about masculine and feminine power. And you're like, right. it's just personal power. It shouldn't be gender specific. Yeah. Well, and really it's interesting. I um, can say that I, most of my clients are men run businesses, you know? And so I think I obviously have female owner, owner businesses that are my clients as well, but I would say um, really getting gender out of the equation is really important and just being open to vulnerability, which is something that's been a mantra out in talks and thought leadership for years now. And I think um, men typically are the ones who are boomers, especially they weren't raised with this. I mean, even my husband, he's a late Gen Xer and I'm sort of like, he'll look right at you and say, I don't cry. You know, like he was raised. It was like yeah. beat into him that that's who he's going to be. Um, and so sometimes just giving people permission to be that real authentic person with you. When yeah. with you. Um, and sometimes it's those first conversations that help people realize it's not so bad. That there's, you know, we're all in it together. And as long as I can be there with you, it's all good. You know, it's better when we're in it together. Right, exactly. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. It sort of gives us a little freedom to be, right? Yeah. And that's, it's all about that permission I was talking about. It's, yeah. it's opening yourself in your mind and saying that I deserve it. Um, my new tagline on my website that just launched today is I deserve it too. You know, you deserve it too. I deserve it too. We all deserve it. And what is it? Presence. And what is that? Joy and purpose. We we deserve it. We all do. Well, Nicole, we just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts, and uh, you know, from our yeah, from the Social Jack team, and uh, and again, we want to wish uh, Kate to get better out there. And then Jackson, who's our two engagement winners? One from Facebook and one from Zoom. So on Zoom this week, we had Miriam Rose Khan. So congratulations. Woo! Yes, and Miriam. then. Uh, on Facebook, we had Laurel Zeman. Oh, Laurel. Okay, good. I yeah. love it. Thank you. The women took them all today. And so remember, ladies, you have a Starbucks gift card coming. And during that Starbucks gift card, we want you to know that engagement rules, that's human connection rules, and make sure that you pass on something that you were inspired by or you learned from Nicole's session today. And uh, please pass on, you know, her website and her books and, and let people know that, you know, they too can be inspired at a deeper, deeper level, as well as listen to the episode here uh, with Nicole Martin. So Nicole, thank you again from the bottom of our heart and we'll give everybody links to your uh, sites and your social sites. And uh, Jackson, thanks again for a great production. Yeah. yeah. And I think one thing I'll say, I'll just echo your recognition of your engagement winners. So those two women, if you send me their names or if they message me directly, I'll send them um, a free copy of any book of my choice, their choice, you know, oh. absolutely. Um, I'll echo the awards, right? The <laughs> there you go. Yes. Okay. So we'll make sure we put them in touch with you. That's great. Well, thank yeah. you so much for the opportunity, guys. It's always great. This is like the highlight of my day just to talk with a friend. So I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, yeah. listen, have, have a great day. Okay. Bye. Bye. Before bye, we go. Uh, before, yeah. Whoa. Hey. Uh, before we go, uh, next week on the Influence Factory, we have uh, Steve Olsher uh, uh, joining us for episode uh, 64 of the Influence Factory podcast. 
and uh, he'll be talking about, you know, reinventing your influence and your brand uh, and how to get to the top of podcasting. So make sure to tune oh, in. Nice. That one. Yeah, great. thank you. All right. And uh, Nicole, just hang on one minute. Okay. All right. So I just want to thank everybody for uh, attending this week's uh, show in live or downloading the podcast. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Influence Factory. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.